this can't be my life. This is not who God created me to be, right? I could hear God saying, I didn't make you to live like this. Get up, get up off the floor, pick yourself up and be who I'm calling you to be. I have plans for you. Do you recognize that voice? Rachel Luna is one of the biggest names in the online coaching world. In case you've been living under a rock, Rachel Luna is a certified master neuroscience and life coach to seven and eight figure earning entrepreneurs and host of the popular podcast, Permission to Offend, which has listeners in over 90 countries around the world. Rachel is a former U.S. Marine and was named by Forbes as one of the 11 most inspiring female entrepreneurs to follow on Instagram. She has one of the most loyal fan bases out there who rave about her authenticity and the ability to see right through their fears and call them out as they need to be to get to a higher level in life. But she didn't start out all enlightened and ready to preach. In fact, at first, she even shied away from talking about her faith one of the biggest parts of herself and her life, until one day she said, that's it. It's time to be me. I reached out to my assistant. I said, I don't care how many people we lose. My whole website needs to scream who I am. And who I am is a lover of Christ. Who I am is a God girl. And if they don't like it, well then that's okay. I'm not for everybody. In this double-decker episode, I dive deep into Rachel's background. How did she actually start her business? What was that spark of genius? Did everything just work out at first? Was everyone in her life 100% on board? How does a U.S. Marine become one of the most sought-after international life coaches in the world? Now, we had to cut the interview down for the podcast. Yes, if you can believe it, we talked for two hours, but you only get one hour here in the public version. To catch the whole interview, go inside our uncut vault at theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. In the full version, you'll hear Rachel speak about both her deceased parents, her battle with an eating disorder, surviving cancer, and how she dealt with an unsupportive spouse throughout her business. These and many more details can be found in the Uncut Vault at theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. I can't even express to you how excited I am to share with you this in-depth conversation with such an inspiring woman. Here is my interview with this national treasure, Rachel Luna. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon, the podcast about online coaching, the inspiring new career path responsible for multiple self-made millionaires, opening the doors for experts and professionals like you and me to stop living paycheck to paycheck and design a rich and abundant life with one purpose 
to help others. I'm your host, Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach. Listen for lessons and strategies that will turn you into the next global phenomenon. Today's episode begins now. Hello, everyone. Today, I am so excited to have Rachel Luna with us. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I am so excited too. Why don't we start real quick by you telling us, what do you do right now? Who do you serve and what do you help them achieve? Yes, I help you get anything you want through neuroscience, coaching, and journaling. Primarily, I love working with entrepreneurs who have a big dream, have a a desire that they want to manifest, and I help you through coaching around your negative beliefs, your mindset, and then we use journaling as a powerful way to help you get more clarity and breakthrough. And if anybody's looking for great live events, you just wrapped up Confidence Activated 2021. Congratulations. Thank you. It was amazing. It was beyond what we could have thought, especially coming off the heels of a pandemic. And it's interesting because when we first did Confidence Activated in 2019, even leading up to getting in the room, I was like, I'm never doing this again. This is it. It's so much work to put on a live event at scale, right? It's totally different to put on an event for like five, 10 people, a little weekend thing. But when you're doing things at scale, it takes on a whole other life. And so I went into 2019 saying, we'll never do this again. It was so great and special. We said, well, we'll do it again. And then the pandemic hit. So we had to postpone the entire year from 2020. And Coming back into the room for 2021 was definitely an incredible journey. And now we're definitely doing it again in 2022. So, yeah. And I have to say, can you please plug your podcast right now? Oh, yes. My podcast is called Permission to Offend. And if you go and subscribe to it, you can hear the last two episodes, episodes 59 and 60, the entire journey to get into the room at Confidence Activated. When I tell you that it was hurdle after hurdle after hurdle and challenge, and it was really interesting, Ina, because it was one of those moments where I kept asking myself, like, God, is this what you really want me to be doing? It does not seem like this is the direction I should be walking in because there's so much opposition. But one thing that I am relearning, because sometimes we learn something or we're exposed to something, but we don't actually learn the lesson. And what I'm learning and relearning is that opposition doesn't mean that it's not for you. It's often just to build your strength, to build your character, to build your endurance so that you can continue to do things at greater scale. And so that's what the journey to confidence activated was for us this year. Yeah. And that's exactly the reason why I asked you to plug your podcast, because I went back and I listened to the last two episodes and you can tell a story. I was like riveted. And at the edge of my seat, I'm like, and what happened with the payment? Like I was at the edge of, everybody just has to go and listen because you can tell a mean story. I would love to know, just to dig a little bit deeper into your relationship with God, like really starting at that time, because it has become a very, very strong influence in your life, in your business, in everything that you do. And I'd love to know, because, you know, I grew up going to church as well, right? My mother is very religious, but she wasn't always. She (laughs) went to church, she took us to church, but it wasn't until later in life that she really found her relationship. And I'd love to know what provided that shift for you? Yeah, my whole life. 
my whole life, if I look at my life, I can see, oh, I'm going to get emotional. Like my whole life, God has just been chasing me. And it's so funny because my whole life, God has been chasing me and I have been chasing human beings to give me the love and the validation and the attention that God has been like knocking at my door to give me. So if I look, you know, that moment, my father passes away and I am just drinking to numb the pain. And I was dating a guy. And then I find out that this guy is having a baby with someone else. Yes. Oh my God. And it was just like, again, you know, and the story that I was telling myself was like, every time I trust a man, he hurts me. Every time I let someone get close to me, they just take what they want from me and then they throw me away. Yeah. Right. And so I didn't realize it, but those situations, those experiences, and as well as some other experiences I had as a child in terms of like men using me that I don't want to get into all the way, but you can just connect the dots there, right? I'm a child and there's someone older than me not doing what they should be doing with a child. Sure. So all those stories just created in me this idea that like, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I'm just garbage. And so because of that, I would then find unavailable men. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they could not really be with me to hurt me. They had their own primary relationship. And I thought I was in control. Right. Because like, I'll tell your wife, I'll tell your girlfriend, you know, it was a way for me to hold on to control. And I didn't understand that then. Right. I didn't understand how hurt I was. So it's through so many of these hiccups. So one day I go back to this story where the boyfriend is back with the ex and having a baby and nobody tells me about it. And I find out at a bar and a mutual friend is like, Hey, did you hear about? So when someone's like, no, he was like, Oh yeah, he's having a baby with someone. So I was like, huh? And he was like, Oh, you didn't know. And I was like, Oh yeah, I knew that cheers. You know? And I, and that night I get blackout drunk. I wake up in the middle of the night in my college apartment and there's throw up all around me right? So I was throwing up in my sleep. Again, I could have died. I'm literally with my hands scooping up the throw up and throwing it in the, you know, toilet bowl. And again, this can't be my life. This is not who God created me to be, right? I could hear God saying, I didn't make you to live like this. Get up, get up off the floor pick yourself up and be who I'm calling you to be. I have plans for you, right? And the Bible says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not harm, plans for hope and a future. And then you will come to me in prayer and I will listen, right? That's what the Bible says. But I I didn't trust that if I came and if I just humbled myself and if I just exposed myself for all that I was, that I would be safe. I thought that if people really saw who I was, they would judge me, they would reject me, they would defame me and tell everybody, you know, what a dirty girl I was. Mm -hmm. But God never said that to me. You know, in the presence of God, even in my worst moments, the moments where I have felt so much shame and guilt, Even in those moments, I've heard God say, and just like, it's almost like I could feel 
the hands of the Lord saying, I'm not judging you. You're judging you. I just want you. You have to let go of all these labels and titles and words and wounds that people have put on you and just come to like the fullness of love. So it's a journey. It's just been a journey. Now you're making me really, really wonder about this next step because I don't know if this happened right after college, but you do end up joining the Marines, which to me is like, please correct. Like the assumption here is that, you know, you're clearly starting to realize like, I am not living the way that God, you know, put me on this earth to live. Right. I really need to turn things around. And what you think of is like teenagers who get sent to a boot camp, right. <laughs> to like get reformed. And it's almost like doing that to yourself. It's like, it's time for a reformation boot camp, And that's where the Marines come in, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Where does that come into your story and how did it fit? Okay. So you have to go back in high school I worked at Foot Locker. Well, I had a lot of jobs, but one of my jobs was working at Foot Locker where it all begins. And this girl named Kelly, can't remember her last name, but Kelly was going to join the Marine Corps. And I remember she came back in and she was like, look at my list. And you get to do obstacle courses. And she made it sound like it was going to be the most fun. And I was like, I want to be a Marine too, right? So here's the other thing, Ina. I wasn't sure of my identity, right? Mm -hmm. My whole life, I had no idea who I was. And I was trying on all the things to see, like, well, maybe I'm a clerk at Full Locker. I worked at a bagel shop. Maybe I'm a bagel maker. Maybe I'm a Marine. You know, I didn't know who I was. So I go home and I'm like, mommy, I want to be a Marine. But at the time, I was only like 16, about to turn 17. And you have to sign. Your parents have to sign for you. You can't just be 17 and join. My stepfather like they had just recently got married. My stepfather was an army veteran. So he was all for it. Mm-hmm. And my mom says to me, no, if you go to college, I will give you a trip to France. Now at the time I was learning how to speak French. So I was like, okay. She never gave me that trip to France, by the way. I joined the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps took me to France. <laughs> Full circle. So I still had this idea that I wanted to be a Marine. But I made a promise to my mom that I would go to college because she made a promise to my biological mother that I would go to college, right? So it was like this promise that was put on me from when I was a baby that I had to follow, follow through. So I'm in college my freshman year and my friend Casey is dating this guy named Miguel and Miguel was in the Marine Corps. And I was like, how are you in the Marine Corps and in college? And he's like, yeah, it's the reserve program. You can go to boot camp, then go to college, and then go to like all the things. So I was like, sign me up for the reserves. I call my mom and I'm like, I'm joining the Marine Corps. Don't worry, I'm still going to school, yada, yada, yada. I walk into the recruiter's office and I always say I was the recruiter's dream because I said, I want to sign up. Where do I sign? Yep. And I was going to take a semester off of college to go do this. I sign all the papers and remember my dad is still alive. My dad lived a long time and I get this phone call and my dad is in the hospital. So I go to my recruiter, that's Sergeant Jackson, who lied to me, by the way. He said I was going to have one job. It turned out to be a whole other thing. Don't believe the recruiters do your own. (laughs) It was fine. I love the Marine Corps. It was a good job. 
So I call Staff Sergeant Jackson and I say, I can't go. I think my father's going to die. And I know that if you send me to boot camp and he dies and I have to come back for a funeral, like, I'm not going to be able to come back because I know that when my dad dies, my heart is going to break. So Staff Sergeant Jackson, like a good Marine, is like, don't worry, we'll hold your spot. You'll go in the summer. I was like, great, I'll go in the summer. And it was such a good thing that I listened to that quiet voice. And I, I want to make sure that, you know, for whoever's listening, really listen to that still quiet voice because it's always guiding you and it's always giving you these like just they feel like jewels, right? It feels like a whisper in passing. And if you're not listening and if you're not paying attention to like your own heart, you're going to miss it. So my dad did not die that month, <laughs> but he did die the next month. And it just felt like the world stopped. Because my dad, even though he wasn't present, my dad was such a champion for my dreams. My dad was always telling me like, you're gonna do it. You're gonna be successful. You're gonna be famous. Everybody's gonna know who you are. And my mom and my whole family, they're great, right? But they're very practical. So for them, it was like, don't have no dreams. Don't have no dreams. Just go to college, get a degree, get a job, get benefits, have a pension plan and be secure, right? No dreaming was allowed. But my dad was like, dream even bigger, like the biggest possible dreams. So when he died, it was like someone took all of my dreams and all of my hopes and everything that I thought that I could be and they just buried them. So... I didn't know what to do. I started drinking, numbing, all the things. And then I went into the Marine Corps. I signed a contract, right? Listen, once you sign a contract with the Marine Corps, they're coming for you. So they came for me and I went May 4th. It was just a couple of days after my birthday. And man, I loved being in the Marine Corps. I loved being a Marine. I loved the discipline and the structure and That's not to say it didn't have its challenges because it did, but I just loved it. In fact, I loved it so much that while I was in boot camp, I went to my drill instructor. I was like, I made a mistake. I signed up for the reserves, but this is what I want to do with my life. But it was too late because I signed a contract. So once you do that, there are other ways that you go into active duty, but you can't do it straight away from there. So I come back to college. That's where I started dating the guy. And the guy goes and has the baby with the girl. So now I'm drinking again. So I was just in this cycle. And, you know, by the grace of God, I graduated college with a whole 1.9 GPA. Woo! C's get degrees. I studied business, which is what my mom wanted me to study. And I got a job at Toyota Motor Sales at their national headquarters. And I was like, okay, I did. I went to college. I got the job. I got the things. I'm doing everything that everyone wanted me to do. Nothing that I wanted to do. Yeah. Just whatever they told me to do is what I was doing. And then we go to war. And so my neighbor's up. 
I am activated. Remember, I was in the reserves. So they call me back on active duty. I go over to Kuwait. Then I go to Iraq. And I have this like, you know, seven month deployment. And when I came back, well, actually before that, I remember I had to write my will. At 23 years old, writing your will. See what that's like. And one of my bosses, he said, you know, what's it like having to write your will? You're like 22 years old. I was 22 at the time. And I said, well, I think it's like the greatest opportunity. This is the greatest gift. This is the greatest thing I could ever do. Like, if I die for my country, like, what a great thing. Like, all these other people get to have their freedom. And so I didn't realize it then, Ina, but my whole life has been this, like, journey to freedom, right? Journey to find the freedom to be me, to be whoever I want to be in the moment, this freedom not just for myself, but to help other people find freedom in their truth, right? I just didn't know. I was taking all these side directions, right? So like the Marine Corps sounds like freedom. High school sounds like freedom. College sounds like freedom. Foot Locker sounds like freedom. Like wherever I can find freedom, that's where I want to go. But here I am. So, you know, that didn't kill me. Thank God. Made it back. And when I got back, I went back to work at Toyota, except that I didn't feel fulfillment, mm-hmm. right? And I remember thinking, man, these people get so worked up over these spreadsheets and how many cars we sold. It was like a big numbers game because sales and people are out there dying in the world. And I want to do something. I said, I almost died out there. Right. I mean, I didn't know. I was fine. Like the one time I was in like one little, it was fine. I didn't almost die. But that's how I thought, right? Like I could have died. I could have, I was in a war zone. I could have died out there and I can't die with the dreams inside of me. Yeah. I got to go pursue that. So I call my mom and I'm like, mommy, I have to quit. I'm going to go back into the Marine Corps. Like this place, my dreams are dying here. My dreams are dying. So I call, I get this job with the Marine Corps I quit my safety job. I moved to New York. And as soon as I get there, I was going to work at a reserve unit. They call me and they're like, we gave your job to two Lance Corporals. Because at the time I was a sergeant, right? Mm -hmm. So the salary for one sergeant is the same as two. So they could get two people for the price of one. So they tanked my job, took my orders. Now I'm in New York City. I have no job. I was like, you got to be kidding me, God. What is happening? My sister gets me a job at Goldman Sachs. It's like the easiest job I ever had. I loved it. I did a lot of expense reports and watching TV. And then one day I get a phone call from my friend in LA and they're like, hey, there's a job on this TV show and they want a Marine. Like, do you want to come out and be on this TV show? And I was like, TV? Sure, I'll go. I go to my boss. I'm like, hey, I need a leave of absence for two weeks. And she's like, I can't give it to you. I said, if you don't give me a leave of absence, today's my last day. Like, come work with me. She's like, I can't do it. I said, well, today's my last day. Boom. Here's my ID, whatever. I go home. I tell my mom, mommy, I got a job on this TV show. I got to go. It's Monday, by the way. I'm leaving Wednesday. I don't know when I'll be back. And I never came back. I never went back to my mom's house. Where was the job? Where were you relocating to? To Los Angeles. Oh. To LA, to LA yeah. to be on this TV show that it got picked up for like one season. It was canceled mid-season, whatever. And so somehow I ended up back on active duty in the Marine Corps. 
And then I met my husband. And throughout that journey, I was working at the hospital in Germany. And by the way, the war is still happening. Remember, like all of this is in a two, three year time frame. The war is still happening. And I am now assigned on active duty to the hospital and uh, the Regional Medical Center in Stuttgart, Germany. Yeah. And I'm watching these kids, Ina, really kids, 17, 18 year old children coming in, their faces literally burned off. One of my patients, his whole face was so completely burned that I remember one time and his hands, his whole body, right? His hands were burned. And when you are burned, when the skin is like healing and regenerating, it itches, it itches horribly. And so his nose was itching and he went like that and the skin just like fell off of his face. I had another patient, Lance Corporal Blyle, never forget him. This kid's jaw was wired shut. Every single bone in his body practically had been broken and he couldn't talk, but I would sit with that kid for hours and somehow we would communicate. I don't know, only God, right? I had another patient who lost his legs and part of his penis, a six foot tall boy reduced to just, you know, half of a body. And seeing all of this, again, it just like stirred up this thing of like, people can't die with their passion inside of them. Like we can't just be dying in vain. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to do something different. So I started looking into being a life coach. Don't ask me why. It was just. Did you see somebody else do it? Years before I had seen a TV show called Starting Over and they had a life coach. And I was like, what a cool job. But I was like 20, 19 of that. What would I be a life coach, right? So I waited until I had a few years behind me. And actually, no, I lied. Something did happen before that. So I had already known about life coaching. At this time, I'm in Germany. I remember I told you I was in Iraq that first time. Right. So I met a guy while I was there. And when I met the guy... He told me he was married and I was like, well, back up off me, sir. Cause I don't want nothing to do with no married man. Good for you. Get out of here. Right. Mind you, he wasn't even my type. Like he wasn't cute. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's cute in his way, but he wasn't my type. Right. Yeah. But this guy took such good care of me. Right. Even while we were both in Iraq, he would send me care packages. Mm-hmm. from wherever he was. And by the way, like, it's a big deal to get any kind of like treats or he would send me these like MRE heaters so that my food wouldn't be cold. Like he was really taking care of me. Then he came back to the States before me and I'm still in Iraq. He's still sending me stuff and packages. When I get back home from Iraq, that dude is right there waiting outside the bus. Mm-hmm. And then he tells me, I left my wife. We're done. I'm single. And I'm like, well, Okay, but still. So I call my mom and I'm like, mommy, this guy is like really pursuing me. And she was like, well, why don't you give him a chance? I was like, I don't know. Like, I want to, but I don't want to. My mom's like, well, just give him a chance. Right. So I start dating him because he's single. I get the opportunity. Remember, I said to go to Germany with the Marine Corps, right, because we're both Marines. He says to me, go to Germany because it's a great experience. And I don't want you to say that you didn't take an experience because of me. I'll be here when you get back. So I'm like, great. I'm off to Germany. I'm living my best life. We're talking on the phone. We're making all these plans. 
He's supposed to come meet me in Puerto Rico for Christmas. Okay. Two days before we're on the phone and I hear a woman in the background and I'm like, oh, who's that? And he's like, oh, that's my brother. He's driving the other car behind me, yada, yada, yada. But remember, I told you, do not discount that small, quiet voice in your head that tells you eh, eh, something ain't right. Remember, I was in the Marine Corps. I look up all of his stats, something I had never thought to do, but I did. He was still married. So I had some friends do some sleuthy things. I find another phone number registered in his name. I call the number. It's his wife. So I'm like, listen, I'm just telling you right now, we've been together on and off for three years. We're supposed to meet in Puerto Rico in two days. And I don't want nothing to do with him, but I just want you to know who you're married to. Wow. No, because, oh, no, 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 no. Actually, I left her that message after. First, I had my friend call him, ask for him. His wife picked up. So then she said, well, hold on. And then the wife says, um, baby, it's una tal Sophie. Because that was the name that she gave, like a so-and-so named Sophie. So he gets on the phone. He's like, hello. And then I'm on the phone. I'm like, I see yo te quería coger. I see. And I was like, that's exactly how I want to catch you. Hung up the phone. I call her back. I tell her, you know, who you married to. I call him back. He doesn't answer the phone. So then I'm like, I hope your plane falls in the ground. I hope you die on your way to Puerto Rico. I hate you. You know, just all the things. And then I drank an entire bottle of Belvedere. I wake up the next morning. She calls me. The wife calls me. And she's like, I know who you are. You do? She says, yeah, you're my husband's best friend. He talks about you all the time. Your parents had AIDS. You suffer from depression. You had an eating disorder. This woman knew my whole life story. And she says, he calls you la prima, the cousin. And I know that he goes and visits you. What? Like at that point, it's like, Woman, I just can't help you, man. <laughs> I was so I say to her, and I'm like, yes, that is me. Yeah, we are best friends, but no, I'm not his cousin. Like, now it's interesting me because I think we had only ever actually had sex like once or twice mm. because I was like, I can't sleep with you until I see a divorce paper. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I know you say you're separated. She tells me, no, they're happily married. She says to me, I've been living the most beautiful fairy tale of my life. Wow. I was like, God, help me. So that was a big mess. And then right around that time, I was overweight. And my boss in the Marine Corps was like, you're overweight. And it's affecting what I think of you and your score and yada, yada, yada. So I was a mess. So I hired a life coach. I was also in debt. I was $40,000 in debt. It was like a mess. It was a perfect storm of mess. I hired a life coach and I was like, I just need to get my life together because I can't keep staying in this circle. Now, in full disclosure, I do have to tell you that I didn't talk to the guy for six months. I did see him in Puerto Rico. By the way, like she and I are talking the whole time. I see him in Puerto Rico because I need closure. And I, I was like, did you even love me? You know what he said? He said, I did until you pulled that stunt. And you never loved me me if you did. But because I pulled the stunt of telling your wife that you're cheating on both of us, 
get out of here. Like, that was devastating. Um, I don't talk to the man for six months. <sighs> I am not proud, but I think that one of the things that I really rest my character on now is being honest about all the parts of myself, right? Yeah. And telling the full parts of the story that I can tell. Because you know something, you can't tell every story of other people are involved and they don't want that out. Right. But I don't owe this man no loyalty. I <laughs> but I got back together with him, even though I knew he was still with his wife. Remember, ah. Ina didn't have any kind of self-esteem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this was the one guy that like, he took such good care of me. He was the one constant guy. Like he never left. I left him, right? And I'm not making excuses for myself because it was horrible. And trust me, things have come back to me. So me and my karmic debt are good. We're complete. But I do want to tell the story because I don't want anyone to hear this thinking that, oh, I was this big victim. No, Mm -hmm. I played a role. And the negative things that have happened to me were because I didn't trust that I was good enough. I didn't trust that I was good enough to be single. I didn't trust that I was good enough to just be on my own. But then she found out and she told us both about ourselves. And it's just, oh, yeah. So that was the end of that. And then you started talking about when you decided to get into the life coaching. And then this story oh, started up. Because yeah. of that. Because again, that was, I was the origin. Bullshit that I had been in before. And I didn't want to live my life that way. So it was a perfect storm, right? I had had this experience. I'm watching these kids get blown up. I'm thinking that there's got to be more to life. I hire my own coach to help me get it together. And she says, wow, you've overcome so much. You should be a life coach. And I was like, nobody's going to listen to me. My life is a mess. And she said, well, your life isn't always going to be a mess. And when you get it together, people are going to want to know how you did it. So you should go study. I started studying to be a life coach. I meet my husband. We have a baby. We get married. I leave the Marine Corps. And then I went all the way in into life coaching. And here we are 10 years later. Now, let me ask you something that may or may not make it into this, but I feel like I need to talk to you again, just about the coaching, because like this was the journey. This is what the New York Times is going to want to know about all the dirt. And I'm like, (laughs) we didn't talk about life coaching. and I want to get you out of here on time. Yeah, let's do part two. How would you feel about doing a part two with me? Yeah, Yeah, let's do part two. In the meantime, you have clearly overcome a lot. And it's not just like in the physical world in things that being thrown at you, but just overcoming so much internally of that mm-hmm. self-worth. And there's a lot of people listening who have just a complex and just a complicated upbringing as you did. And they're hearing you and they see where you are, the successful woman that you are. Right. And I want you, if you can, like on the spot, just give me Two, one and two things that you feel that person who's going through that right now, who has big dreams for their life, what do you think are the most important things that they need to know, to be aware of? Like, what is your message for them? Just two things that they can walk away with to get them out of this destructive cycle and get them to actually live their life. Yes. Well, the first would be that you have to give yourself permission to offend. And I'm writing a whole book about that. Y'all can buy it in the fall of 2022. Well, I'll just tell you what that means. That doesn't mean that you're out here 
insulting people and being a jackass, but it means giving yourself permission to own all of your truth, even if someone else is offended, right? So when I tell you the story about me being the other woman, somebody out there is really offended, right? And I know that there's someone listening who has been the primary woman, not the other woman, who's been the wife or the girlfriend who's had to endure the pain that I caused. And hearing me tell my story might trigger some pain and offense. And some people might look at me and say like, well, how could you just talk about it? Like it's nothing. And the reason why I talk about it is because it's my story. And I have to give myself permission to tell my story freely, even at the risk of offending you, because I know that there's someone out there like me who was wounded and hurt and abused, who was looking for love in all the wrong places and who may have done the same things. And she's holding on to that shame and she's holding on to that guilt and that burden. And she needs to see the example that who you were, is not who you always have to be. You don't have to be that girl, right? I'm not that person anymore. And anybody that wants to vilify me and villainize me as that person, well, that's on them, right? So you have to give yourself permission to offend. The fact that you have a dream is offensive to someone else. The fact that you want to be who you want to be is offensive. So just go out there and give yourself that permission to offend. The second thing is have yourself a good journal practice. Now I'm holding up, a. it doesn't have to be this one. It doesn't even have to look like this. Listen, if you want to journal on a notepad, you can do that. But I really believe that my prayer and journal practice is what contributes to my success. Because when I am feeling fearful or full of shame or angry or whatever emotion that's holding me back from taking action of the day. I go into my journal. I follow my three steps. I'll give them to you really quickly, but you can follow me on Instagram at girl confident. I talk about it there all the time, write shift script, write The first thing that comes to your mind, no matter what shift into a state of gratitude and expectation for what you desire. And then three script your desires as if they already were. Do that practice, do it regularly and watch that your life is going to change. Watch the things that you desire begin to manifest before your eyes because you're willing to do that work. I love it. Thank you, Rachel. We are going to be back for part two. In the meantime, can you tell everybody how to find you, where to follow you? If you have a freebie everybody can download, please tell us now. All right. So you can follow me at Girl Confident on Instagram. You can subscribe to my podcast, Permission to Offend. That's my freebie. So I don't have any download. I don't have that at the moment. I used to have so many. So funny. But I always just tell people subscribe to the podcast. That's where you're going to get constant, consistent free value. You can subscribe to my email list by going to rachelluna.biz forward slash lunatic. And I call my community the lunatics because we are crazy enough to believe that our dreams can and will come true. And I believe that for me and I believe that for you. Thank you so much for being here, Rachel. And we'll see you next time. And we are back for part two of this incredible double-decker episode with Rachel Luna. So Rachel, you gave us a ton to think about in your story. And this segment is going to be all about your coaching journey. All right. (laughs) All about the, the story of your business. So why don't we start there? I just want to hear in your own words, 
What is the story of this business that you're doing right now? That's a great question. And I don't think that I have ever taken the time to think about, ah, what is my business journey story? Although I know that in marketing, they teach you to do that, that you're supposed to tell people like your journey. I traditionally have not been very good at documenting the journey, mostly because I'm not interested in documenting the journey. I'm interested in experiencing the journey and scripting what's ahead. Right. And I've had to have a lot of mindset shift to start documenting things and appreciating the value of documentation. But if I were to give it a name, I probably would call it the unending, right? The never ending journey. Well, in 2007, I decided I wanted to be a life coach and I started trinkering around to see like what was available. Now, remember in 2007, the landscape of the internet, we didn't have Google. I mean, I think Ask Jeeves was the thing. Zoom was certainly not a thing. Skype was a thing, but it it was very like one-to-one. You weren't like having conversations. So my coaching program was teleconference. And I lived in Germany at the time. And I remember I kind of started dabbling. I would get on these calls at like three o'clock in the morning because of the time zone. And that's how I learned how to become a life coach through this telecourse thing that life seemed to last forever. They don't really do this anymore as far as I'm aware of in terms of other coaching programs. But at that time, you had to coach 750 hours before you could get certified. That is a lot of time. It's a lot and of people. A lot of people and a lot of hours. And some of it had to be free. Yeah. And some of it could be paid. And I remember telling my husband when we got married. So, so it took me a couple of years to actually get my certification because of the time zone. I remember telling my husband that I wanted to like now pursue this in 2010. It was like the end of 2010. And he just looked me right in the face and he said, I don't believe in what you do. I think it's bullshit. You, Tony Robbins, all you motivational people, you're just marketers and you're taking advantage of people. Why do people need coaching? Why do people need coaching? Why can't they just solve their own problems? And then he was like, you know, I don't need anybody to motivate me. I said, well, you're not everybody, you know? And then he said, well, I don't believe in what you do, but I believe in you, baby. So go do it. Right. But all I heard was, I don't believe in you. Right. Yeah. Because even though he said, I don't believe in what you do at that time, my identity was very connected to my roles and my responsibilities. And it took me years to unlearn the fact that your roles and responsibilities are not your identity. So my role as a coach does not define me as an individual. It's just something I do. It's something I'm good at. So it was a little bit of an uphill battle, right? I was trying to gain approval from people. And remember, in 2010, 2011, life coaching is a joke, okay? You are the butt of the joke for like the first five to seven years of really being a coach online. You were the weird person. You were the crazy person who you didn't know what you were going to do with your life. So you were helping other people get their lives together. And I remember in 2011, we lived in Japan, remember? So I'm overseas. Now at this point, I live in Japan, no longer in Germany. 
there was this program that I wanted to attend in the United States. And there was another program that I wanted to purchase an online course. And all of this was like thousands and thousands of dollars. And I had one credit card at the time. I had really bad credit or I was rebuilding my credit, I should say. So one credit card, the program was $2,000 and I only had a thousand dollar credit limit and I used it to pay the first installment. And I remember thinking like, I better make my money back because I'm not gonna be able to pay for the credit card. But here's the thing. It's something that I've really tried to work on over the years is that when you invest in a program, put it to use right away. Try to get your money back within the first 30 to 60 days. And a lot of times we look at these programs to be the answer and they're not the answer, they're the guide, right? It's the roadmap. The answer's in you. The authenticity is the creativity, the secret sauce, the special gift is you. And every program, every coach that you hire is just someone who's helping you tap in more into you. So I did that. And then I just felt like I was getting traction. And then someone said to me, you need to stop talking about God so much. You talk about Jesus too much and you're going to alienate people. And now the woman who said that is still a good friend of mine to this day. She was further along in her business or so I thought because she was more tech savvy. So I said, but I thought that you're supposed to alienate people because that way I'm attracting the right people. She's like, yeah, but you don't want to offend people. And I was like, but I don't think I'm offending people because this is just who I am. Nevertheless, I am coachable. That is one thing. I'm very coachable. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to do what she says. And for anybody listening, man, there are going to be times when a coach that you trust and admire, a mentor is going to give you advice. If there's something in your heart and soul that just feels like, "Eh -eh, this isn't right, Trust that. Trust that. We've got to learn how to trust ourselves. But I didn't at that time. So I take every trace of God off of my website. I don't talk about Jesus. Like I'm worshiping in silent and, you know, behind closed doors. And for some reason, I now hear the scripture. If you deny me in front of others, I will deny you in front of my father. God, forgive me. So what happens? I end up getting a client who is a practicing witch. She does the pensive thing. I don't even know what they're called, but she's drawing stuff on the floor. And she was the loveliest person, just so you know. So this was no shade to her. She was super kind and sweet to me. But I remember that I always felt uneasy getting on the call because she'd always want to talk to me about these like witchcraft practices that I don't align with my values and my beliefs. And at one point I was like, I don't know what to do because she's nice, but this is not an aligned partnership. And I can't really be who I am in her presence. Now, of course, I didn't know then what I know now. I could have totally been in her presence. When we're so used to following everyone else's advice and opinions, we start listening to ourselves. So after that experience, I said, I can't, I cannot do this anymore. I just have to be me. And if I lose money, I'm willing to lose money, but I cannot keep denying who I am. Because remember at this time, I'm still living with the man who does not believe what I'm doing. So I don't get to talk much about my business at home. So I all day long, I'm denying myself to everyone in my life. I reached out to my assistant. I said, I don't care how many people we lose. My whole website needs to scream who I am. 
And who I am is a lover of Christ. Who I am is a God girl. And if they don't like it, well, then that's okay. I'm not for everybody. Once I did that, sales went through the roof. Business explodes. Why? Because I'm just in my truth. I'm just being me. And right, there are people who are like, you're a Bible thumper, holy roller. Okay, whatever. That's fine. But the majority of the people are now saying, wow, thank you for being so bold about what you believe. Yeah. That's where I started to learn to start giving myself some permission to offend. There's a couple of things that have happened that I really want to zoom in. What happened? Yeah. One of them is, I don't remember if this was your very first client, but you started by offering something for $15 a month. Do you remember this? Can you tell us the story of how that came about, how that went and what was the lesson after that? Well, remember, I was in this program where in order to get certified, I needed a certain amount of paid clients and I needed a certain amount of free clients, right? So I had just kind of gotten off of that. I didn't know what to charge because my life coaching program... The business training was like, here's your contracts and here's how you schedule them. And here's how you give them an assessment. That's it. Nothing like how you market, how you set your prices, none of that. So I reached out to a sorority sister of mine and I was like, come on, let me coach you. You know, what can you afford? And she was like, I got $15 a month. That's it. Because she was in a dire situation, right? She was living in a one room. She had a son. She was on welfare. There was a lot of things happening. And I was like, okay, come on, $15, girl. And I coached this woman every week for over an hour, every single month. And then I was like texting her. I was emailing her. Like there was so much support. When I broke it down, I think I was making like $1.35 an hour for the amount of time. And look, she fired me. She fired me. I helped her. And she did get a job. That was what she was wanting my help with. And then she was like, well, I just can't keep up with it anymore. And I got a job, so I'm good. And I remember thinking like, okay, I can't work for $15 an hour. Because remember, at this time, I don't even own a printer. My husband is like, this is stupid. You're not going to make it. You're wasting our family's money and resources. It's taking time away. You're not a good mother. But what I learned from that was who I did not want to work with. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, we hear all these stories about like niche down, niche down, niche down, and you don't even know your niche. And you're spending so much time thinking about who it could be instead of being out there and trying people on to see who it could not be. Yeah. Right. So in that experience, I learned that, number one, I could never again work for $15 a month, let alone a session like that wasn't going to happen. Right. And I started to figure out who I did want to work with. Right. I had fulfillment for helping that young lady. And that was nice. But I didn't enjoy working with people who did not want to be entrepreneurs. Because when you're working with an entrepreneur, you can see the idea become a reality, like they're making, they're creating something and I'm very creative. Yeah. So, and then, you know, over time I raised my prices and raised my prices and now I charge $1,500 an hour. Yeah. So, and so I wanted everybody to hear this because 
when we start out, and I say this myself, I go out there and I tell people, you know, the very first job that I created for myself, right? My first entrepreneurial venture was making websites for people. Mm -hmm. And I was not beneath making my first website, spending a month making a website for free, just so that I could put it out there and like, you know, start actually charging the prices. So I'm not beneath charging what you have to just to start to get results, just to see that. And what you said is really, really important, which is to try people on, to not just spend an entire year trying to figure out, but I haven't figured out my niche yet. So I can't even put out a service out there. No, like work with people. They will reveal themselves to you. You'll be able to narrow it down from that. I wanted everybody to hear that out loud. Yeah, I love that. And you know, there is so much value in offering beta rates, right? right? So like sometimes when I do a new program, I will charge way less than what I know I should because it's new, because if there's a level of testing, there's a level of experimenting. I'm going to want more feedback from them than say something that's more established, like my faith activated journaling experience that's established. I still want their feedback, but I'm pretty clear on how this works and what we're doing for the future. So right. there's so much value in offering introductory rates Mm -hmm. and taking on some scholarship clients for the testimonials. There's a lot of value there. And the other thing that I wanted to say that happened before Todd Herman was what else happened? You wrote a freaking book. Oh my gosh. What? Like, how do we just like, like breeze right through the fact that you wrote an entire book. It was called Successful People at Full of Crap, where crap is an acronym for courage, resilience, authenticity, and perseverance. To tell you the truth, like when I interview for the global phenomenon, I do my research. I go back and I want to see like where they started. And to tell you the truth, it was hard to find you before the book was released. I'm like, well, our first task list, our first item on the task list when we start our business is not to write a book. So I'm like, I know there must have been something before that. So I want to know where this book idea came from, where your grit to write it came from so early in your career. This was before everything. Tell me about it. Oh my God. That was like the first thing I did was write a book. If I really think about it, that was the first thing. Even before creating a course, I wrote a book. Okay. So here's what happened. I see this contest called the next top self-help author. Okay. And I was like, I could do this. I always wanted to write a book. Let me do it. Let's see how far I could go. Because if you won the contest, they would publish the book for you and they would make an app for you. And if you got into the top three, you got an app too. I have an app somewhere out in the world. Wow. I don't even know how to get into it, but I have one. Okay, so the first thing you had to do was write a book proposal and the first chapter. And if you did good, then you advanced to the next round. So I did that. And then I did. I advanced to the next round. Then the next thing you had to do is you had to create a video book trailer, which I think you could find that on YouTube. I think you could still find it. And then you had to have people vote for you. And so if you passed a certain way, then you got into the semifinals. So I did that, right? I start writing the first chapter. I do the thing. I do the book trailer and I make it to the top 10 of this whole thing. And then the next thing was to make it to the top three. And then once you were in the top three, like whatever, I did not make it to the top three, but I had told everybody that I was writing this book and that they had seen the book trailer and, you know, they were voting for me. And then I did pre-sale. So like now I had to 
finish it because I had taken people's money. If I had never done that, if there had not been this contest, I don't think I would have ever finished the book because it took me nine months to write the thing. Three of those months, I didn't even look at it. I was like, I hate this book. I don't want nothing to do with it. And then I did. I paid for it myself, self-published it. At the time, it was called Create Space, but now I think it's called KDP Publishing. It's through Amazon. I threw my own launch party in Okinawa, Japan. I spent way more money to produce the book than the book ever made for me. And, you know, I think there's a really good lesson in this is that when you write a book, there's, at least for me, there was this expectation that I was going to write a book and all of a sudden, like, people were going to know who I was and I was going to be famous and, like, you know, somehow the New York Times was going to find my little book and, like, everybody was going to know. And that is not how that works at all. So when you write a book, you have to be willing to talk eat, breathe, sleep, drink this book, right? Now, here's the thing. I did know that I wanted the book to become an Amazon bestseller. So I did that. I did a great launch. Once it hit an Amazon bestseller, I hit my upper limit. And there's a great book called The Big Leap by Guy Henricks that talks about the upper limit. The upper limit is what your mind is conditioned to believe it deserves. Once you reach that, If you don't know how to have the tools to overcome it, you get stuck, right? So once I hit the Amazon bestsellers list, guess what I did for the next like three to six weeks? I slept. Yeah, I literally went to bed. I got up. I would like tend to my kids. I would go back to sleep. I didn't promote the book. What I would have done in hindsight is I would have hired a PR person and said, look, this girl made the Amazon bestsellers list. Let's get her on all the shows. Let's like really put some weight behind it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. And I just let that book kind of collect dust. Now, let me tell you about the book cover. It's a joke. It's such a joke. That book cover is awful. (laughs) I didn't have the money for an editor. So if you get your hands on a copy of it, it's poorly edited. And there are so many like cringeworthy moments, like as I read it through, but there's also some really good stuff in there. And I'm really proud that I put that book out there with all its cringeworthy factors, with its hideous book cover, with the typos. And, you know, I'm proud of it because it represents everything that that cover says you need to be successful. Mm-hmm. Courage, resilience, authenticity, and perseverance. Yeah. So what happens between 2015 and 2020 in your business story? Oh, God. Those five years were difficult. Those were the most difficult years of my adulthood. In 2015, I was getting a lot of traction and a lot of momentum. Like 2015, 2016, and I, everything was just taking off. Professionally, I was like doing so great. But personally, I was really, really struggling. I was struggling in my marriage. I was struggling as a mother. And there was a lot of dissonance. So dissonance is when you want two different things at the same time. And those things oppose, right? So like I wanted my family, but I didn't want to be married. So that was a clash. 
I wanted to have a seven-figure business, but I don't want the responsibility of a seven-figure business, right? So that's a clash. So there was a lot, I would say from 2015, 16, there was a lot of, I'm just going to keep showing up. I'm just going to keep doing what I know how to do. There was a lot of survival mode, really. Then 2017 and 2018, I separated. And that was liberating and challenging all at the same time. But that was a really great season for me personally, because I was able to see how truly independent I was and how successful my business had actually become, that I could still keep my team and pay for them and take care of me and and pay for me. And I was sufficient. But I wish I could tell you like all these great things were happening and it was so easy and truly it just wasn't. It was a really hard season in my life and I just kept showing up because I was committed to what I had set out to do, which was to build this business. In 2018, my husband and I got back together and we moved down here to Jacksonville, Florida. And that was like a rebirth. And that was a really sweet season for me the whole year. Bittersweet, I should say, bittersweet. Because at this time, I've also now decided that I want to have a live event. And this is where permission to offend actually is born in 2018. This idea of it being something where I want to like really plant my flag. That's right around the time that the scandalous Christian is born, right? Because now I just want to say all the things and I don't care. I don't care that my husband is offended. I don't care that he does not understand me. If he wants to be with me, this is who I am, right? And I decide I'm going to put on this live event. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That was like the best and worst idea ever, Ina. It was the best and worst idea ever because... I'm a big time visionary, right? So like in my mind, when I think of a live event where Cirque du Soleil is coming, right? Like people are going to be hanging off the chandeliers and the big band and the drum line is coming. Like that's the kind of vision that I have. Rotating stages and light shows. Yes, and fireworks and smoke machines, right? (laughs) Listen, let me tell you how much all that costs, right? That vision right there, that's a $200,000 to half a million dollar operation right then and there. And I'm thinking to myself, 500 people are going to come to this event and I'm going to do it. And And if they can do it, I can do it. Here's the thing though. I was saying all the right things. They can do it so I can do it. They're the example. So I know, but I didn't really believe that. Right. There was still like this doubt in me. Like, I don't know that I could sell 500, $500 tickets. Right. I don't know if people will come all the way to see me. And it was such a good lesson in developing your own confidence, recognizing that you by yourself are a good enough showpiece, if you will. So we sold 209 tickets. But to me, leading up until that day, it was a major failure. And I felt like, We have failed the mission. And I walk into the ballroom, negative $30,000. Yeah. So now I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do because I have 200 people coming 
and I'm $30,000 just walking into the room in debt. And I just hope that no one asks me for a refund because I had made the promise that if by the first half, by the first lunch break of the first day, you didn't feel like you were getting your money's worth, you could go to the back and ask for a refund. And I meant it, but I was really scared that somebody was going to take me up on it. Thank God nobody did. It was great. It was the most incredible experience ever. So we're in 2019 now. And then three days later, I found a lump. Yeah. And that lump turned out to be breast cancer. Yeah. And that sent me on a whole other trajectory. And so if you look at my life, it is just this big roller coaster, right? Like as soon as you're high up, it's just like, you know, that's what it feels like. Except that this time, when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, this time I decided I am going to look at this differently than I have looked at every single challenge and tribulation in my life. And I'm not going to look at it as something that I have to battle or fight against. I'm just going to look at it as this is something I am going through. This is something I'm traveling with. And this is an opportunity for me to just love myself more than I've ever, if ever wasn't a time to approach life with love, this is it. And that made all the difference. So when I get the news that the lump is cancerous, it's triple negative, it's the most aggressive cancer, it's multiplying at 93% a day. 93% a day. This thing is like got legs and it's running. So I don't recommend this to anybody, but I searched the hashtag breast cancer survivor on Instagram looking for some hope. It's so depressing. It's like everybody's bald. Everybody looks sick. The most of them are, it's just like horrible. But there was this one woman and she looks so healthy and so strong. And she had these boxing gloves on and I went to look for that post again, by the way, like when people start asking me to tell the story again, I could never find that exact post that I saw that day, but it said something like no chemo, no radiation. And so I said, her, this is the one. And there were three people that I messaged. I messaged her, I messaged another stranger, and I messaged the girl who we had been in a program together. Only one person responded to me. And that was Michelle Reynolds, God rest her soul. And I said, I just got diagnosed. I see that you did too. Is there any place I can look online to see your story and your journey? Because like, I totally respect when people ask me all the time, they like ask me all these questions. Now I have a resource. Now I just send them somewhere. And so I was thinking maybe she had a resource. She writes me back and she says, sis, right away, first time, sis, I'm praying for you. My story is here. Here's my phone number. Call me anytime. Stranger. We get on the phone. She tells me about this place in Mexico, about the Gerson therapy. And now I'm off to the races with this naturopathic approach. I tell my mother, I tell my husband, and then right away, I get a lot of feedback. And because I was getting so much feedback and the doctors have a lot of opinions and there's a lot of information that comes at you so fast that I remember I said, I'm not saying anything to anyone 
until I know what I want to do. And I'm not saying anything on social media until I'm ready to hear everyone else's opinion because they're going to give it to you whether you want it or not. So then I did rules of engagement and I did a post and I said, this is what you're allowed to say to me. This is how you can support me. This is what I'm unavailable for. If you can't respect this, I'm totally fine with you unfollowing me and I don't take it personally because you're not going to come into my sanctuary of healing with your fear and your BS telling me I've done the research. Unless you've got an encouraging word or some really good science-backed research to disprove all of the things that I've done, I don't want to hear it. Right. So... I want to be really, really mindful of your time because you have been so generous. Of that. I feel I'm, I'm already starting to think like, I'm going to have to have a Rachel every season to like touch base and see like how things are going. No, the book Permission to Offend, which I got now traditionally published through Harper One is coming out next year. So we'll have to come out for that. We'll have to do it. Do you have a release date? September, 2022. Okay, we're doing this season three. You're coming back to talk about that book. Yeah. You have been so generous and everybody should just go and follow you at Girl Confident on Instagram because they can see like all of your story. They can see all the things you've been doing. You've talked about your different health changes and like nutrition changes. So Rachel Luna, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful businesswoman? Oh, yes, that I am confident all the time. And that I have it all together. I do not. No one does. Just a little insider secret. I've been in this industry for a long time. And I've seen behind the scenes of many, I'm talking seven, eight-figure earning entrepreneurs. And from the outside, it looks so shiny, like they have it all together. They don't. And I know this because I've seen the back end. I've coached some of these people. No one has it all together. No one is confident every single day. The thing that separates someone who is successful and profitable and consistent is that they had the courage and the resilience to keep going, even when life came with some heavy hits. Just don't give up, guys. Just don't give up. Just keep going. You never hear about the quitters. You hear about the people who stuck with it, <laughs> right? That's true. Final question. Yes. So. Everybody who's listening, they are online coaches or starting their online journey, right? In order to be prosperous, to make it, right? We would love to know if everybody who's listening had to do what you're about to tell them to do, and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what should that thing be? Wow. Okay. That's such a fantastic question. I would say that the first thing you should do is grab a journal because I'm such a proponent for journaling. You should grab a journal. It doesn't have to be this one. one. And just write down everything that you do and do not want in your life. And the reason why I say do and do not want is because sometimes I say like, write down the things you want. But some people have been beaten down so much emotionally, physically, mentally, they don't even know what they want. They couldn't even imagine. So if that's you, just write down all the things you don't want. I'm unavailable for whatever. And then from there, 
I would write down, wouldn't it be amazing if, and then just go to town. Wouldn't it be amazing if I met the, you know, perfect business partner? Wouldn't it be amazing if I had a 10K month? Wouldn't it be amazing if I hit seven figures? Wouldn't it be amazing if I got a million followers in the next year? Wouldn't it be amazing if I became a New York Times bestselling author? That one is for me, right? Like, wouldn't it be amazing? And just allow yourself to have that dream. And then finally, because, you know, we're breaking it down over the next, what'd you say, two days? 24 hours. Next 24 hours. This is all we have. Yeah, this is all we have. And then from there, Pick one of those, wouldn't it be amazing ifs and work on that and just commit yourself that that's the goal. And no matter what comes, what happens, you will continue to persevere towards that goal, no matter how many times you have to try. I love it. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's just been such a pleasure talking to you. I seriously could talk to you like all day long. <laughs> and you can tell a mean story. Everybody needs to go and listen to her podcast. Please tell us, plug your podcast. Tell us if you have a freebie. How do we get more of you? Okay, go to Permission to Offend, the podcast. You can go to rachelluna.biz forward slash podcast. That takes you to my podcast page. Permission to Offend is available where all podcasts are streamed. It's on Audible now, Spotify, all the places. And then you can learn more about my faith-activated journaling method, which I highly recommend for anyone, no matter what stage. I literally have people in my journaling program from still in a nine-to-five, figuring out what they want, to already making multiple six and seven figures. There's no discrimination when it comes to journaling. So you can go to myfaithactivated.com and there'll be some stuff for you there. Wonderful. Rachel, thank you so much for doing this. We're definitely having you back so you can tell us all the things. You've been so generous. Really, thank you you so much. A pleasure. Hey there, Ina here. After this episode, you may be wondering how you can also achieve the kind of success that our guest has experienced in their entire career. So hit follow and subscribe to catch me on Thursday for a brand new lesson on how to grow your coaching business, even if you have a small audience. And if you'd like to hear the full interview with all the details that only the super fans care about, get free access to all of our uncut interviews by going to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening. You know that part in this episode that made you go, oh my God, I need to write that down. I want to know what that was. So go over to Instagram and find me at your engagement coach and send me a DM. I want to hear it. And if your business bestie is missing out on all of these juicy strategies, make sure to take a screenshot of the episode and share it to your stories. Remember to tag me so that I can thank you personally for all your support. I'll see you on the next episode.